0: Misach's Brachas Perak Test Mishnah five, the last Mishnah of the Mesechta. This actually is a composite Mishnah that discusses a number of different topics. Um the first is a continuation of our previous theme in the parak, which is making blessings of Shavakhva V'hoda, thanking Hashem um with the brachas of Atova Metiv. Or Shekhyana, when good things happen, or good tidings, and dinah Emes, when bad things happen. So the Mishnah says, Chayv Adam Levarech Al Hara, Kishem The way in which one makes a blessing over bathing, making the bracha Dina Emes, he should make that with the same sincerity and love of Hashem, uh, and, and actually, you know, Simcha Shal and Lev Tov, of wholeness, sincerity of heart, fullness of heart, as he would when he makes the bracha, Avatova, Meitav, and Shekhyanu. Now, the mission is going to bring a proof text to show why this is the case. Uh, the proof text comes from the well known from which is, which means, and you will love Hashem, your God, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your resources. Um, we will darshan the last of those three things, um to be a reference to to be a proof text to support this idea of mevarchan alha rakashimvarakalatova. And um, but before we do, since we're introducing this Pasuk, the Mishnah will go off topic to make a more complete set of drashas on the pasik, deal with all three. So the now the Mishnah will go and make a drasha on the first of the three elements with which one should be oh, Hashem. Again, this has nothing to do with our topic in the Mishnah so at a Side Point, but since we brought up the Pasuk, the Mishnah says, You have to love Hashem with all of your heart. Now, the word heart in Hebrew is lev, and therefore the way of saying your heart should be libecha, uh, but instead there's lavavacha with two uh, bases, two bases included there, um, and therefore we're going to darshan as if they're two different hearts. Uh, b'shnei the heart. In Jewish thought, is considered to be the seat of one's uh, emotional drives. Uh, I would often translate "lave" as mind, but here we're darshing you, So to speak, you have two minds. You're a person of two minds or of two drives. Uh, both the "be'yeitzer tov" and "oveyeitzer ra." You have a drive toward goodness, towards Hashem. That's what "tov" is—nitzchis, uh, eternity—and a separate drive you have towards "ra," towards uh, evil or distancing oneself from Hashem or Temporariness, uh, ephemeral things of this world, uh, the yitara. So a person should channel both of those drives that are pulling him uh, towards avodas Hashem. There, how you serve Hashem with your yitahara is uh, subject to a bit of machlokus some different uh, mafarshim. But the gist is either there's a time and a place for using bad middos. Or if a person has various animalistic instincts, he can still channel those towards doing mitzvahs. Um, Those are the two gists of the approaches, and either both are true, meaning that a person is a human being and he has human nature. um, But that doesn't mean that the human nature is uh, necessarily evil or bad. He can be channeled also towards a Vodas Hashem, and a person should work um, to channel everything he does. Um, and all the mitos he has, etc., towards avodos Hashem. So that's the drush in the first part, the mandate to be ohev Hashem b'chol abavacha. Then it says, v'chol nafshecha, you have to serve Hashem with all of your nefesh, your soul. So the drush there is, afiluhunotolos nafshecha. Even in the event that a person is forced to dial Kiddush Hashem, for example, a person has to give up his life, um, then when that is the case, it's rare, when that is the case, a person has to do it, and he has to do that with love, um, there's a very famous Gemara in Mesechus uh, Brachu's Salmachalif, that talks about how Rabbi Kiva was martyred and killed by the Romans. And uh, as he was dying, he was uh, very happy ostensibly, and saying uh, Kriyishma on his death. And he was asked how in the world to be happy at a time of this, like this, when he was having his skin raked off of his body, obviously a nightmarish way to die. And he said uh, that his whole life he had been waiting to fulfill this mandate to love Hashem Bechol. Na'afshecha with all of one's uh, soul, even when Hashem, uh, even when Hashem was taking his life, forcing him to die. In the case of Rabbi Kiva, he was dying against his will, but other times a person is forced to die, al Kiddush Hashem, sort of submitting voluntarily to die. Uh, whatever the case, uh, and Rabbi Kiva explained there that when a person says the Echad of Cheshma, he actually should uh, ready himself, he's the halacha, ready himself to die, al Kiddush Hashem, uh, and be ready to do so. So here the mandate of the Mishnah is speaking out that the requirement to love Hashem means to love Hashem even if it means dying for Hashem in those rare instances. And I should point out that the Mishnah doesn't say when you die, but it actually makes it much more poignant by pointing out even when Hashem takes your life, meaning we're not just uh, pretending that bad things happen to good people. We're recognizing that whenever something bad happens, it's Hashem doing it also. So it's Hashem who's causing this person uh, to die in it, even though it's Hashem doing the killing, so to speak, uh, even if it's through an agent, the person should still respond to Hashem taking his life with, with love. What a uh, formidable requirement. Uh, be that as it made up to the Mishnah saying here. And finally, to love Hashem with all your maodecha. Now, ma'od is an unusual word. Uh, if you're something, ma'od means you're very something. But here it says Bechol Moncha. we understand "ma'odecha" means all of your, your financial resources, your money. And Davra Acher, a second explanation of the word "ma'odecha," the unusual choice of words in the Pasuk of Meodecha, is, now this is our proof text, we had said in the Mishnah, that you have to Hashem, bless Hashem, on the Ra'ah, on bad things that are happening in the same way, meaning with the same sincerity and, and joy, uh, as if you were saying on a good thing happening to you. So the source of that is this. The second davar the second explanation of ma'odecha, for Darshan it's there be reference to like the word mida, like um, like a measuring measuring cup, so to speak. Uh, meaning, however, Hashem dishes out to you life and whatever portion you get, you still have to respond to Him. Whether it seems like it's a, a goodly portion or a not so desirable portion, Hashem knows it's good for you, and therefore you should respond to Him um, sincerely and with love and joy. Uh, regardless of how Hashem dishes out to you. And that's the Drusha here. Another way of understanding the word is with whatever type of measurement Hashem dishes out to you. You should still thank him uh, very greatly. So, now, that's the end of that thought. That thought of the way one makes brachas, even a dinah is to be with sincerity and and, uh, and joy. Now, the mission is going on to a, a new topic, uh, um, altogether. This topic seems to be almost unrelated to mesachas brachos. Uh, ostensibly, the reason why it's doing it is because the mission didn't want to end on the sad notes of of uh, bad things happening, and uh, also, whenever you see expressions of Ava Hashem, as was sort of the focal point here, the whole point, in a way of the brachos throughout one's day and throughout one's life, that one says in the whole brachos is to engender um, Avas Hashem, a love of God. And of course, the Ramon, for example, puts the halachas of brachos in Sefer Ahava, the book of love, along with the halachas of Krishna, like we just mentioned before. Um, but whenever Ava Hashem is brought into the picture, you will see that um, the it's counterbalance, it's... Um, other side of that coin, almost, is the mitzvah of Yeres Hashem, of being reverent to Hashem and being in awe of Hashem. Um, look, for example, how the Ramchal describes it, and look, for example, how the Ramam describes it in the beginning of the of the Mishnah Torah. You'll see that Abbas Hashem and Yeres Hashem always come um, one heel of the other. So here the Mishnah is the same thing. And since we're talking about Abbas Hashem, we will now bring in the mitzvah of Yeres Hashem, and specifically the place where one uh, most um, palpably expresses his year as Hashem, his fear of heaven, which would be um, when he encounters Hashem's home, so to speak, in the Beis HaMikdash, in the temple precinct, where um, God's presence is actually uh, manifest and almost almost as palpable it was when the Shekin was there. And therefore the Mishnah now will talk about the proper way of expressing reverence towards Hashem in the context of the Beis HaMikdash and being in its uh, in its vicinity. So the Mishnah says, Loya kill Adam es shar A person shouldn't uh, be light-hearted. Literally means he shouldn't make his head light, but it means frivolous. Uh, do frivolous activities. Examples given are things like urinate and cut your fingernails and uh, and joke around. Um, but I think conceptually it's the kind of thing where if you knew the videotape was rolling and you were going to be on the, you know, five o'clock news and be footage of you, there's certain things you just wouldn't do. Uh, Like, for example, clip your nails and jerk around like a fool and urinate. So, those kind of things that aren't uh, serious, respectable things one shouldn't do, connected Shar HaMizrach, directly opposite the eastern gate. The Shar HaMizrach here is referring to the outer gate on the eastern wall of the wall that surrounds the Temple Mount. That is to say... um, the Kotel is part of the retaining wall around the Temple Mount, but it's the western wall. So when one stands facing the Kotel, the Kotel Maravi, the western wall, he's actually facing east. So when you stand in the Jewish Quarter, you're towards the Mikdash, you're facing east. But if you stand on the other side, meaning if you're standing on the on the uh, Mount of Olives, and you'd be facing the uh, facing west, you'd be looking at the eastern wall. So we're talking about that eastern wall, and directly opposite. The entrance to the Kaddish Kadashim, there was a series of gates. The outermost one, although they're all in alignment, is the Shar Mizrach, the outer eastern gate. And we're saying even if you're outside of that gate, you're staying on Harzasim on the Mount of Olives. If you're directly in front of the gate, you may not be uh, hakalvus rosh, be frivolous and, and messing about. Uh, the reason why is because shehu muhuvan keneged Base Kaddish that's in direct alignment with the Kadashikadashim, the Holy Polis. And uh, there are actually four separate portals uh, that would be between the let's call it the Arun inside the Kadashikadashim on the inside, and let's call it the Harazesim, the mountain to the east, um, outside the temple precinct. So there are actually four separate portals. The outermost one is the Shah Mizrah we're talking about here. That's the eastern gate that brings you onto the Temple Mount. But then there'd be another gate that would lead you into the Azrus Nashim. Uh, the outer section of the of the courtyard of the temple and another one that leads you into Azrel the inner the inner uh courtyard the inner chater. and then finally if you're inside the the um the Azara in the inner courtyard then there's another separate portal that leads you um into the 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 heichel, into the building where the Kodesh and Kodesh kadashem are but all those gates um and gateways are all in exact alignment, so when you're standing out on the Mount of Olives, if you're directly in front of the Shahr Mizrah, you're really directly in front of all the way to the Kaddish HaKadoshim, and, and therefore these restrictions apply. And they re- apply as long as the Har the Temple Mount, is in view. That is called the Tzufim, the place where one can see, like as in Harat Sophim, Mount Scopus, the, a place where you can sort of mitzapeh. you can see the Mikdash. If you're beyond that, you're farther, farther east um, out of Jerusalem, then these these requirements no longer kick in about not having Kalesh Rosh. Now, the mission continues on. Another expression of Yeres Hashem is b'makelo, minalo, uvundaso, uva'avak shal You may not enter onto the Harabayis with your makel, your staff. Uh, the idea here is the staff is not like you know, a walking stick that helps you um, ambulate, but rather a uh, sort of a symbol, a symbol of, you know... Um, dignity or, or importance, and uh, one shouldn't have that, In the one should come to Hashem with reverence and humility, and therefore not bring a uh, staff with him. Man'alo are shoes. Now, wearing shoes is actually not in any way disrespectful or somehow not showing proper reverence, but um, because the actual dirt, the floor, the ground in the Har is kadosh, the same way when Moshe Rabbeinu had to take his shoes off when he stood before the sneh, the burning bush, because as Hashem said, the ground on which you're standing is is kadosh, so so too the ground on which one stands when he goes onto the harabais is kadosh and therefore one may not wear shoes leather shoes so he takes those off o <laughs> fundasso there's two basic shots on what a, a, a fundas is um either it means like a a money belt so like you kind of think of maybe you might think of like a fanny pack type thing but probably a better because' what it was shaped like if you will um like a money belt the travelers wear like to hide their money in their Around their waists, under their clothing, uh, which is what was going on here, but uh the idea the cultural significance is that that's uh, sort of like coming on with like your you know attache case, your briefcase onto the hard just inappropriate, not a place for commerce, et cetera, therefore one shouldn't wear it. The other Sha the Ram understands that pundas is a a um like an undershirt, so the point is you shouldn't walk on tarabias not wearing a proper shirt, just having your undershirt um their undershirts especially were there sort of um, be like undergarments to collect sweat. And and, uh, and so one shouldn't sweat through to his, his main clothes, which he doesn't change that often. So you're wearing just the undershirt. It's sort of disrespectful and gross. And therefore, one may not do it on the Har According to the second shot on what a Pundas is. Nor can you walk on the Har without having washed your feet, literally without with the, the dust on your feet. So when you take your shoes off, you must wash your feet out of respect. Veloya asenu kapandaria, a person may not make the Harabayas a shortcut. That is to say, if one had to, for argument's sake, go from the Jewish quarter to in our modern day Jewish quarter, um on the one side of the bias to, let's say, the Mount of Olives on the other side, one couldn't cut through the har the horror bias, you'd have to go all the way around uh, to get there. Rakika Homer, and spitting on the floor in the Harabias, on the bias is forbidden from McColva Homer, you know, all the um you know, the you Klob know, is an argument for all the more so, meaning that um, if you can't do things it's like wear shoes, which is not objectively disrespectful, you certainly can spit, which is an expression of contempt. Now, the mission has a new point here. The new point here is the way in which one said brachos on the Harabayas in the temple was different than elsewhere. The mission says, kolchos me brachos, the way every blessing ended, sheba mikdash, when they would say blessings in the base of mikdash, they would add the words min olam, which means literally from the world. Which means that when they say a the bracha, they would say, for example, for the bracha, let's say of Chonin Hadas in Shimon Esrei, they wouldn't say Baruch Ata Hashem Chonin Hadas. They would say Baruch Atah Hashem Elokei Yisrael min olam from the world Chonin Hadas. Those extra words Elokei um, Yisrael are added also in, but the mission doesn't focus on them. But now, the problem is, says the Mishnah, Misha minim once the minin, the uh, the heretics, were mekalkel, they, you know, caused their mischief, and they argued, the amru they said, ein olam ele They said, there is no world to come, there's just this one world, and they brought a proof to that heretical thought by saying, listen, even in the temple, they say, Minha olam from the world, Hashem gets praised, meaning there's only this world, no other world. Hiskinu, the rabbis, uh, made a takana, they rectified the matter. Sheyu omen, that the way they would say the blessings should be not just baruch ata Hashem, elokei Yisrael, min ha'olam, but they would say min ha'olam, from the world, va'ad ha'olam, and to the world. It's hard to translate quite in English, the nuance here. But in any case, um, just literally it means we have both from and to the world as if you have two separate olamot, two separate worlds, Um, a reference both to this world and the next world. Fine. The Mishnah continues on uh, with one final point. Um, Another tekanah Chazal made. We're ending on this point. I'll explain why I think in a minute. In any case, a new unrelated point here that the Hiskinu, the rabbis, made the following tekanah. That a person should greet his fellow Jew by invoking the name of God. We actually fulfill this by saying something like Shalom Aleichem because Shalom is one of Hashem's names. So when we say, peace upon you, we're sort of invoking Hashem's name. But the Mishah here doesn't mean that. The Mishah here means actually to even invoke Hashem's good old, you know, Shem Adnos Yurke Vavke um, to invoke that name. Shne'amar, how do you know that you are even allowed to do that? Let alone that we do do it. Shne'amar, because the verse says, Ve'hine Boaz bami Boaz, this is famous from the story of Bruce. Uh, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the people harvesting, Hashem imachem. He greeted them by saying, God is with you. So when he invoked God's name as a greeting to them. And they responded in kind. So the proof here is that you see, Boaz, who was the god of the door, invoked Hashem's name to greet people. So you see it's a legitimate thing to do. Meaning Boaz did it. After that, it wasn't the regular thing to do. But um using that as a precedent, later on, the rabbis decided that in order to promote brotherly love, fraternity between fellow Jews, uh, the rabbis instituted that one should greet a fellow Jew by invoking the name of God. Now, if you're not sure that that's a legitimate thing to do, the Mishnah says it is, and the precedent that you see it's legitimate is Boaz did it. Now, the Mishnah is got an unspoken question here. Perhaps you would ask... You know, maybe Boaz did it and it wasn't the right thing to do. So um, to address that, it will suggest another proof text temporarily. And that is Omer. Another verse says, this is a passage from Shoftim, um, when an angel greets Gidon. And the angel says to Gidon, Hashem imcha gibor achayel. God is with you, great warrior. And the understanding here is that The angel is greeting Gidon by invoking Hashem's name. And you see that's a proper way to greet um, someone with God's name. The problem with that proof text, of course, is uh, manifold. One problem is who says the rules that govern angels governs human beings. And even if you say, well, listen, angels wouldn't do things that that are wrong. They're angels. Still, it could be that the angel isn't greeting Gidon, but rather saying a, a statement of fact. He's declaring you should go into war confidently because God is with you. Not, not a greeting. Uh, and therefore, we lapse back into the proof text we had before, which is the one from Boaz. And if you're still worried about, well, maybe Boaz acted without proper license and uh, he invoked God's name in greeting the, the coats from the harvesters, but that was inappropriate. The Omer, the Mishnah says, don't say that. Bring the puzzle from Mishlei, Proverbs. Al tavuz ki zakna imecha, don't disgrace your mother just because she's old. Meaning, our ancestors, our forebears, like Boaz, you can rely upon them. And what they did were legitimate precedents. And to say that maybe Boaz made a mistake and that what he did was inappropriate and we can't rely on him as a precedent, that's really being disrespectful to Boaz, who was really one of an important link in the chain of the Masora. So to even suggest that is is uh, unfounded and, and improper, and therefore we can rely upon a, a Boaz to do it. Now, if you'd say, well, listen, still... There's a general prohibition against taking God's name in vain for nothing. So why in the world would you sort of invoke God's name casually to greet a fellow Jew? Well, you see there are precedents elsewhere that uh, fostering peace between fellow Jews is no small matter. And in fact, the, presence of the precedent of the sota um, and the permission to actually rub out, you know, blot out God's written name in order to foster peace between a husband and wife uh, which is a heavy duty precedent because erasing God's name is even a more severe uh, prohibition. Uh, yet uh, God does it and allows it to happen for the sake of fostering peace. So you see, God has an interest in in there being peaceful relations between fellow Jews, and is prepared to forego on His kavod uh, for that for that end. And therefore, the Mishnah concludes by saying, Omer you should know," as the Pasuk in Tehillim says, "Eis laosos surasecha." Now, the meaning of this Pasuk literally is um, there's a time to act for God in response to the fact that the bad guys have annulled his Torah. So you have to take action. But we're making a drasha here. The drasha is that the good guys, the chazal, the rabbis, um, took the liberty of annulling a clause in the Torah, meaning they were liberal in invoking God's name. Because sometimes you have to act for God. And um and extraordinary uh situations require extraordinary measures, and uh, that's why the rabbis did it. Now, two points that I want to make before we end here. The first point is certainly one can't uh wield the the rule of Isla Sushem for himself and decide to take matters in its own hands and, and have, you know, extraordinary rule breaking of the Torah. Certainly we're not doing that. That would require the Chazal and hedron to do something of, of that nature, and uh we're not, we're not talking about that. Um, a second point is conjectural. my point, my, my part. I can't remember seeing this inside anywhere, but I probably did. So I, if it's right, I take no credit for it. And if it's wrong, I take responsibility. Um, I, I want to suggest here that the Mishnah ends this way besides for the bringing in the point of fostering Shalom peace, because that's a theme that ends many mesechthas and as many other segments of the Torah and themes of the Torah, uh, Peace is, of course, a primary concern and a, and a primary value in Jewish thinking, and therefore ending on that happy note of fostering peace. Um, but I, I want to suggest here also that it weighed heavily on Rabbi Yehudin heart, having now authored the first mesecht of the of the Mishnah, that he'd done something ostensibly wrong in writing down the Torah, which has to remain oral, and yet he wrote it down. Um, and he did it. Why did he do it? So the Gemara says he didn't want to do it, but he had to do it. Uh, because the alternative was um, the persecution that the Jews are suffering under the Romans uh, would return and the Torah be lost. And therefore, mm-hmm. he again, mm-hmm. he had to act for the sake of Hashem, because uh, because other people were seeking to annul the Torah, and therefore pulling this out, he, the Chazal, Rabbi Yehuda, Anasi, and Asi, and acted to be made for the Torah, to break in the rule of the Torah, of not writing the Torah Shabba, uh, Shabal pad down, uh, because because sometimes you have to act for God. And with that, we end As Brachas. We will come back to it as a Chazorah soon.